Fifteenth Lesson The Power of United Prayer Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in the heavens. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Matthew 18, 19-20 One of the first lessons of our Lord in His school of prayer was to not be seen of men. Enter your inner chamber and be alone with the Father. After He has taught us that the meaning of prayer is personal contact with God, He came with a second lesson. You don't only need secret solitary prayer, but also shared united prayer. He gave us a special promise for the united prayer of two or three who agree in what they ask. As a tree has its root hidden in the ground, and its stem growing up to the sunlight, for full development prayer needs the hidden secrecy in which the soul meets God alone as well as fellowship with those who find their common meeting place in the name of Jesus. The reason this must be so is plain. The bond that unites a man to his fellow men is no less real and close than that which unites him to God. He is one with them. Grace renews not only our relationship to God, but to man also. We not only learn to say, My Father, but also, Our Father. Nothing would be more unnatural than for the children of a family to always meet their father alone, but never in the united expression of their desires or their love. Believers are not only members of one family, but they are also even of one body. Just as each member of the body depends on the others, and the full action of the Spirit dwelling in the body depends on the union and cooperation of all, so Christians cannot reach the full blessing God is ready to bestow through His Spirit except when they seek and receive it in fellowship with each other. In the union and fellowship of believers, the Spirit can manifest His full power. It was to the one hundred twenty continuing in one place together and praying with one accord that the Spirit came from the throne of the glorified Lord. Acts 1, 14-15 The marks of true united prayer are given to us in these words of our Lord. The first is agreement as to the thing asked. There mustn't only be general consent to agree with anything another may ask, but there must also be some special thing, a matter of distinct united desire. As in all prayer, the agreement must be in spirit and in truth. In such agreement it will become clear to us what we are asking, whether we may confidently ask according to God's will, and whether we are ready to believe that we have received what we ask. The second mark is the gathering in the name of Jesus. We will have more to learn of the need and the power of the name of Jesus in prayer. Here our Lord teaches us that the name must be the center of union to which believers gather, the bond of union that makes them one, just as a home contains and unites all who are in it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous shall run into it and be raised up. Proverbs 18 10. That name is such a reality to those who understand and believe it that to meet within it is to have him present. The love and unity of his disciples have infinite attraction to Jesus. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The living presence of Jesus in the fellowship of his loving, praying disciples gives united prayer 
its power. The third mark is the sure answer, It shall be done for them of my Father. A prayer meeting for maintaining religious fellowship or seeking our own edification may have its use, but this was not the Savior's view of prayer. He meant it as a means of securing special answer to prayer. A prayer meeting without recognized answer to prayer should be an abnormality. When any of us have distinct desires but feel too weak to exercise the necessary faith, we ought to seek strength in the help of others. In the unity of faith and of love and of the Spirit, the power of the name and the presence of Jesus act more freely, and the answer comes more surely. The evidence that there has been true united prayer is the fruit, the answer, the receiving of the thing we have asked. I say unto you, It shall be done for them of my Father who is in the heavens. What an unspeakable privilege this united prayer is, and what a power it might be! If the believing husband and wife knew that they were joined together in the name of Jesus to experience His presence and power in united prayer, their prayers would not be hindered. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 If friends recognized what mighty help two or three praying in concert could give each other, how much more would they pray? If there was in every prayer meeting the coming together in the name, with faith in the presence, and the expectation of the answer, members would stand in the foreground. If united, effectual prayer in every church were regarded as one of the chief purposes for which they are banded together, it would become the highest exercise of their power as a church. If in the universal church the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the king with the mighty outpouring of his Holy Spirit, and then in his own glorious person, were really a matter of unceasing, united crying to God, would the church not raise its voice to the heavens? Oh, who can say what blessing might come to and through those who agreed to prove God in the fulfillment of His promise? In the Apostle Paul we see distinctly what a reality his faith in the power of united prayer was. To the Romans he wrote, I beseech you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the charity of the Spirit, that ye help me with prayers to God for me. Romans 15.30 He expects to be delivered from his enemies, and his work to prosper. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, He, God, will yet deliver us, ye also helping us with prayer, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 1 Ten to eleven. Their prayer was to have a real share in his deliverance. To the Ephesians he wrote, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching in this with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me. Ephesians six, eighteen to nineteen. He depended on their prayers for his power and for success in his ministry. With the Philippians, he expected that his trials would turn to his salvation and the progress of the gospel through your prayer and the nourishment of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 19. To the Colossians, he added to the injunction to continue steadfast in prayer, praying also together for us that God would open unto us the door of the Word. 
Colossians 4, 3. And to the Thessalonians he wrote, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and wicked men. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-2. It is evident everywhere that Paul felt he was a member of a body, a body on which he was dependent for sympathy and cooperation. He counted on the prayers of these churches to gain for himself what otherwise might not be given. To him, the prayers of the church were as real a factor in the work of the kingdom as the power of God. Who can say what power a church could develop and exercise if it gave itself to the work of prayer day and night for the coming of the kingdom, for God's power on his servants, and to his word for the glorifying of God in the salvation of souls? Most churches think their members are gathered simply to take care of and build up each other. They don't know that God rules the world by the prayers of his saints, that prayer is the power by which Satan is conquered, or that by prayer the church on earth has disposal of the powers of the heavenly world. They don't remember that by his promise Jesus has consecrated every assembly in his name to be a gate of heaven, where his presence is to be felt and his power experienced in the Father as he fulfills their desires. We cannot sufficiently thank God for the blessed week of united prayer with which Christendom opens every year. As proof of our unity and our faith in the power of united prayer, as a training school for the enlargement of our hearts to take in all the needs of the universal church, and as a help to united persevering prayer, it is of unspeakable value. But specifically, its blessing has been great as a stimulus to continued prayer in the smaller circles. It will become even greater as God's people recognize what a blessing it is for all to meet as one in the name of Jesus, to have His presence in the midst of a body united in the Holy Spirit, and to boldly claim the promise that what they ask shall be done by the Father. Blessed Lord, You who asked so earnestly for the unity of Your people, Teach us how you invite and urge us to this unity by your precious promise given to united prayer. It is when we are one in love and desire that our faith has your presence and the Father's answer. O Father, we pray for your people and for every small circle of those who meet together that they may be one. Remove, we pray, all selfishness and self-interest, all narrowness of heart and estrangement by which that unity is hindered. Cast out the spirit of the world and the flesh through which your promise loses all its power. O oh, let the thought of your presence and the Father's favor draw us all nearer to each other. Blessed Lord, grant that your church may believe that it is by the power of united prayer that she can bind and loose in heaven, that Satan can be cast out, that souls can be saved, that mountains can be removed, and that the kingdom can be hastened. Good Lord, grant also that in the circle with which I pray, the prayer of the church may indeed be the power through which your name and word are glorified. Amen.